Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Samson Rope. Your rigging ropes aren't just tools of the trade. They do the grunt work. They have to endure dynamic loads, abrasion, and moving through hardware while keeping you safe, which is why Samson rigging ropes are specifically designed and engineered to meet the rigors of your job, the result of a legacy of over 140 years of innovation. Stable braid rigging line is the industry standard for arborists. A durable polyester double braid rope with a high strength to weight ratio, torque-free construction with UV protection. Put Stable Braid to work for you. Stable Braid from Samson, the strongest name in rope. Visit samsonrope.com for more information. So I want to try something new. So uh, whoever wants to go first, feel free. Go for it, Zach. Put you on the spot here. So, so I joined Clairvest uh, last year, and I'm a native of Denver, Colorado. Moved up to cold, snowy Canada a few years ago. And pretty much since day one at Clairvest, Mohit and I have been researching and learning about the tree care industry. And I, I've had a lot of fun, and I think we've learned a lot. And uh, we're excited to be, to be on the podcast. Okay, I guess I'm, I'm next. Uh, my name is Mo Cancel. I'm a partner at Clairvest. I'm sure we'll get into what Clairvest is and what a private equity firm is, but uh, I guess prior to Clairvest, uh, actually studied, studied up as an engineer, uh, if you can believe that, realized I didn't want to do that, ended up doing consulting and investing um, with an MBA in between. Um, and now I find myself as a, as a partner at Clairvest and alongside Zach, as, as we mentioned, looking broadly at what we call facility services, tree care being uh, one of our priority uh, sectors. And then I'm John Gersberg. I work with Joe at TCIA. Um, I work in our corporate engagement team. So we represent companies like Claire Best, who are members of TCIA, the distributors, manufacturers, and suppliers to the tree care industry. We have about 300 corporate members, and Claire Best is one of our newer ones. So welcome aboard, guys. Thank you. So I guess right off the bat, I'll ask the difficult question of what exactly is a private equity firm? Yeah, sure. Maybe I'll, I'll handle that. And I was joking with, with Zach before. It is probably the hardest. And if you were to ask my mom, she would have no idea what I do. I've kind of given <laughs> up explaining it to her. So I will I'll maybe try to be as simple as possible. So, you know, maybe, you know, it's not Gordon Gecko in, uh, in Wall Street. You know, that would be kind of cool. That was what I was doing. Um, but essentially, uh, it's maybe not too different than what you might have in, in your IRA or in your, in your investment account. You'll invest in funds. And there's people who manage those funds. Typically, for individuals like you or me, those are more public markets funds. But if you get to a certain wealth or you're an endowment or a pension fund where you're managing big, big amounts of money, you will sometimes invest in private equity or a fund like Clairvest. And Clairvest or the private equity fund will manage that money, obviously investing in private companies with the goal to you know, get a good return. Um, and the timelines are usually quite long, um, again, quite different to your you know, typical mutual funds or, or whatnot that you might be invested in. But typically, you know, a fund life cycle can be 10 years. So from uh, a pension fund investing in day one, it could be 10 years till they see their money back. But hopefully that gives you a bit of a, a view into, into what private equity is. Yeah, no, I think that's helpful because I honestly didn't know much going in. So that feels like a very good place for me to start at least. But you guys had mentioned that the, the interest in the tree care industry was recent. What exactly interested you about the tree care industry? Um, okay, Zach, should I, should I go for it? Yeah. Okay. So I'll. Um, so yeah. So our uh, and maybe just building on the last question, there are um, 
there's different flavors of private equity. I know I kind of painted a, a broad brush, but at Clairvest, uh, we're not alone in this, but we really focus on on growth and partnership is kind of our mantra and how we approach investing. Just like how a tree care company can be focused on whatever high-end residential or commercial, and there's different strategies and different flavors. For us, it's growth and in partnership. Um, and in tree care, when we kind of step back, um, maybe I'll give you a few things. One, I would say, um, just feels like a very stable and growing industry. You know, I'm sure John can go back and check, you know, how many companies have kind of grown over time, how many employees, et cetera. But when we've done that analysis, it's been quite strong for a long time. Trees keep growing, bad weather persists and is continuing to come. Um, so we see a lot of stable and growth now and in the future. The second thing, which is maybe more of a, a nuanced point is it's just getting more and more professional. I think maybe some of the, you know, again, I'm not kissing your butt, Joe and John, but some of the good work that TCIA is doing, I think is very, very important to creating value long-term in the industry. And, and then not to paint a broad brush with all industries, but I've kind of seen this with other industries where, you know, you, you know low focus on safety, you know, cause, you know, show up whenever I want, just generally not caring and, and not having a high standard. And tree care is definitely moving in the right direction. When you're able to do that, you know, from a financial guy, like good things happen, right? Like, you know, margins improve, uh, safety improves, uh, everyone just is, is better in the sandbox, so to speak. So see that as being kind of a, a good tailwind. And then the third thing, we actually, um, early on in our work, Zach actually, we, we downloaded the entire database off the website. And I don't know, what's the number, Zach? How many thousands? I think it's listed by the branch, but I, I want to say over 2,000 member branches. So that, that frankly excites us to an extent because we like to, and then on the, on the top end, you have like five or six really, really big companies. And I remember I was listening to a podcast, you had someone from Davey on a few months back, right? So we kind of love those industries because our goal is to build kind of a challenger up to the big guys. And we think that sort of dynamic allows a really good company to take share from the big guys and the small guys and creates acquisition opportunities um, with, with the small guys. So I guess it's kind of a lot, but you know, it seemed like a good growing industry. It was kind of transitioning to the right place. And we feel like there's opportunity for a well-backed, uh, capable uh, company to do well. So I don't know if that makes sense, Joe, but yeah, feel free to ask follow-ons if you have them. Yeah. So going off of that in yeah. moving the, I guess we're going to call it the smaller companies towards the larger companies and trying to bridge the gap. What exactly are we trying to bridge the gap between? Because um, is it a size thing? Is it a, a revenue thing? What, what exactly are you guys trying to help bridge the gap between? Yeah, I guess when I was talking about small and large, I was thinking size wise in terms of kind of revenue and profits and whatnot. You know, there's, there's, there's going to be a bunch of other differences. Um, just as when you're a small company, a large company, just as you get bigger, you'll have more overhead. You'll be able to invest more in training and systems and processes just because when you get to, you know, 50, 100, 150, 200, you're able to spend that money. But I don't want to just paint a broad brush again and say that small companies are not as good as large companies. By all means, not the case. Otherwise, why would they exist, right? But small companies are often able to be very nimble, sometimes offer much better customer service, sometimes be much more appealing to some types of employees. And, and again, I kind of talked about that, but our goal is usually to kind of take some of the small company goodness almost and, and grow it up to a, a size to make a good profit and continue. We always use this analogy, kick the shins of the big guys. It's an analogy we love to use, but, you know, like, and then maybe again, a broad brush, but I'll take a, a very motivated uh, regional CEO who's 
been in tree care a bunch. I'll take them all day long versus a regional head of a big company all day long. We'll kick their butt. Right. And, that, and that's, that's sort of the framework of how we think about things. So Mohit, I actually, I'm following yeah. you to that. So sure. I noticed that as you're speaking about it, you and Zach in our previous calls and everything, you guys talk a lot about the growth and partnership. You rarely, I mean, not in our calls yet, have mentioned like the financial side of this. What else do you guys do or what's your like mentality around that growth? Because it doesn't sound like it's strictly financial growth. It sounds like you guys have more kind of invested into these, these companies that you work with. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit more about you know, what else that kind of entails? Yeah, so I think, I think that one potential misconception about private equity is that private equity investors don't add any value beyond their monetary investment. So just to provide an example at Clarevest, a couple of the resources and advice, uh, pieces of advice that we provide to help companies grow would be strategic direction, margin and revenue enhancement. We help build out uh, human resources and help with key executive hires. We might help with CapEx, which, you know, as you guys know, is particularly important in tree care, managing the efficiency of your equipment, um, and then also helping with acquisitions. So if a company that we invested in wanted to acquire another tree care business that would help improve their root density in a particular market, then we could help them execute that acquisition and determine how much to pay for that company. So yeah, you guys really run the gambit of the partnership from start to finish. I mean, it's strategic planning right down to actual growth. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. Thank you for elaborating on that. Yeah. And I will, and then, and again, I think it's a theme we wanted to bring up, but, um, and Zach kind of touched on it, but there's many flavors of a private equity firm and people create a bucket and I don't know how many there are, like probably hundreds of private equity firms out there. Right. Whatever yeah. the 31 flavors of Baskin Robbins ice cream, like there's, mm-hmm. and again, like tree care, there's, you know, when you guys say, well, a tree care company, you would be like, okay, there's so many different types. And to your point, John, there's going to be some private equity firms. Um, that's not us, but some private equities are very operationally intensive, right? They'll actually have executives on the payroll. They'll, they'll jump in day one and completely change the company. And on the other end, which is also kind of not like us, there's some who just cut a check that kind of Zach mentioned, and they just say, see you later. Um, you know, I'll, I'll meet with you every, you know, every three, six months. We're somewhere in between where we try to be in the corner of the entrepreneur to help them and selectively take on very strategic tasks, but let the management team and, and group do their thing. And frankly, sometimes just trying not to screw up what might be working before we get there. <laughs> um, because, um, you know, you can screw it up. Right. And I know there's been some podcasts here about having the right culture and the right things that can attract the right employees. And you got to be careful not to, not to screw up what you invested in in the first place. I think that seems like it's a very fine line for you guys to walk. Um, how, Besides trial and error, is there really a, a, any other way that you guys have used or found that works when you, you know, work with a company? Yeah, I think one, one thing to highlight, and I can pass it off to Mohit after this, is we really try to have, we really try to know what we don't know. And so when we think about where we can help and where we can add values with the companies that we partner with, you know, Mohit and I are not arborists and we don't have expertise in actual arbor care. So we wouldn't be able to help, you know, the arborists do their job much better than they already do. So that's an area where we would largely leave it to the management team of the company to help dictate how to make that operation the best it can be. 
in terms of maybe doing acquisitions, that might be an area that we're slightly more well-versed in and where we can help management out. So for us, it's really about knowing what we know and letting management and letting the employees run the things that they know really well. Yeah. And it's, um, and again, I think it speaks to strategy because it's some, and maybe to your point, like some private equity firms would want to completely upend a culture, right? And I'm not passing, you know, blame or, or negative views on some, but I, I have heard of a few that, and I don't want to go nuts here, but like literally they'll make everyone take tests on, on, you know, uh, your capabilities. It's kind of like the office space, right? Like you're kind of interviewing for your job um, and they completely want to revamp the culture. Um, and maybe that's what you want to do and that's fine. But for us, it's not generally not our thing. We want to back the in-place team and support the culture. And maybe I'll give you an example if, if it helps. So like, and I'm, I'm sure he's, he's finally talking about this, but we invested in a, an IT managed services company, um, which again, it's not tree care, but it's, it's close to me and I, I spend a lot of time with the company. But in that situation, it was a family owned business. Uh, the current CEO was with his father and family. Um, and when we came in, we backed that individual and essentially cashed out his father and the rest of the family and doubled down with him. And, and that's, been, it's, that's been the growth. And really it's all about supporting his vision, helping him double down, help him build on the culture. Um, if anything, probably kind of lowered, let go of the shackles a bit, to be honest, right? Because he was able to have a more pure view able to make quick decisions. And sometimes in these family owned businesses, it's not easy, right? There can be a lot of people around the table who might be managing towards different expectations and different things, but it's almost a little bit more pure because it's just kind of him and us at the table and we can make decisions quickly and enable it to, to go. Um, we want to make that investment here. We want to make that acquisition. We want to sign up that customer. Um, we could just make decisions quickly and, and make it happen. On the other side of that too, it sounds like is you're alleviating what could be a stressor in, in those other parties' lives by simplifying everything that's going on, maybe giving them the out they need to to move on and not have this vested interest in what happens anymore because they're whatever their yeah. life yeah, has and, changed past then. Yeah, exactly, John. And I and I sometimes go with this message, right? Like if you're if you're in the tree care industry and you've got a a good sized company, it's an exciting time for you because you can kind of have that reflection, John. You can be like, hey, and don't fault me. And I'm, and again, I'm saying this from Toronto where I look out the window and there's a bunch of snow on the ground. Maybe you do want to go to the Caribbean and sit on the beach and you know drink Mai Tais all day. All the power to you. Go take your cash. See you later. Um, it's all the best for you. But you know, some people don't want that. They care about the future of the company. They care about their employees. They want that to be successful. They want to wake up in five years and to, you know, run a much bigger company. And, and again, I go back to this, but some people just love to kick the shins of the big guys and some guys just want to get up in bed and I want to kick their butt. Right. Um, and that's what makes them tick. Um, and that's usually a lot of the folks that we partner with. Yes. Oh, sorry, John. Part of it. No, no problem. Uh, yeah. That really rounds out the partnership piece of that because you guys can't, it's not a one size fit all for, for any industry. So you guys really have to develop that relationship and that partnership with these companies and figure out where they're headed before you guys can do anything to really to supplement that or to, to help them in any way. So yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And continuing off of how you guys are going to be working with them, but not as you know, the primary role, they still ultimately you guys are helping them pursue um, whatever their visions is for it. I think that's important to mention because a lot of these tree care companies are, family owned or family run or started, you know, generations back. And I do think that there is 
a lot of that that's existing and speaking for all of them because they're not here i think it can be hard to let go of something like that you know something that a parent may have created or a grandparent and there probably might be you know different feelings coming up when yeah you know we're we're up north too you know we see this now outside we also want to be in the caribbean it's it's hard work and i think we have a lot of issues with people trying to transition from working outside working on the ground being part of that everyday sort of section to the tree work to now trying to move into the actual office work the managing roles and doing all that kind of stuff how do you guys help assist with that you guys you know will have your expertise and probably have a little bit more expertise in that area um, than the normal grounds crew of a, of a tree care company would work. How do you kind of make sure your personalities don't clash when you work with them? Because obviously not everybody is easy to work with, whatever industry you're in. Um, and again, you're trying to help these people make their dreams and their visions come true. How much do you let them go before you let them know like, hey, this dream or this vision is detrimental or it's not beneficial to your company, just to you. Like, again, how do you walk that fine line of, you know, nurturing the dreams that will work and kind of directing them towards other areas? Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that we do when we're in discussions with an entrepreneur and potentially going to make an investment in their company is really take a lot of time to talk to them about what they want to do and say, hey, where, what do you want to accomplish over these next 10 years or so? If we can have a really clear understanding of what our common goals are, then there will be fewer surprises down the road, and that will lead to fewer moments where we have to, or we might try to, you know, argue against an action that the management team is taking. So for us, it's all about taking a lot of time right at the outset to make sure that we have the same goals, and if not, it's still a productive conversation, but maybe the differences in our goals are so much that that partnership is not right for us. Uh, but for us, it's really about nailing down everything that we want to do together at the outset so that there are fewer surprises. Yeah, I would just add, it's like you're kind of dating before you get married, so to speak, and hopefully there's no divorce. But uh, And then my other point would be, Joe, you kind of touched on this on... It's, it's not easy from stepping out of the day-to-day -day sometimes, right? And I, you know, I think we all go through that struggle over our careers, right? If, if you're in a lucky position to, to be successful and move up and start managing people. But it's, it's something that we, we need to coach on and help. But I always, I always kind of coach our CEOs or management teams to be like, if you are doing, you, you are not being successful, right? Like when, you know, to really be, and to really be successful as a CEO, I'm a big fan of saying, you almost, you almost can wake up and not have anything to do. I don't know if I make like that, but you need to be able to step out and control your time and jump in. But if, you're, if your day is being spent on fires or doing, it's not a good thing. You should almost be happy you're not getting a lot of emails, right? You should almost be happy you're not, your phone's not ringing off the hook because that means you have a good team in place. And sometimes to be honest, it's a difficult conversation. And that could be the first two years of our investment, but we might be encouraging them to say, no, no, you need to hire, right? And let's, let's hire, head HR, let's hire head of operations, let's hire someone for finance and let's get you the team so you can elevate yourself. And because we're ambitious people, and we want to grow. Like a lot of times our CEOs and time management teams need to be thinking, you know, six months, a year, two, three years ahead, right? It can't be, oh crap, that fire is here today. It's going to be like, oh, uh, 
that city over there looks really good. I should start thinking about hiring a crew to do that over, or I should think about acquisition. You have to think about the next step, but if you're stuck in the day-to-day, you're not going to get anywhere. So going off of that again, just because it keeps bringing up things and not to bring up the horror stories of people who may have had to deal with this kind of stuff, but just some stories you've mentioned and we've heard is where somebody will come in, switch up the entire management, switch up the entire company values. From your perspective, for people who are actually in that section, in that industry, why do you think that happens? Why do you think that the culture gets changed, that management gets replaced or it restructured the entire thing? Is it because the companies weren't originally working as intended or is it something else? I know asking you to paint with the broad brush and go through and try to generalize this entire thing, but uh, just if you guys could provide some insight on why that actually happens. Yeah, I mean, it. I, again, I, go, I think I go back to there's different flavors of uh, private equity, different flavors of why someone might make an acquisition, right? Um, and if I were to kind of like guess or, or, or think about the times you're thinking about, Joe, you don't always know the reason. And it could be, it could be as simple as, you know, I'm a big company. I, I, I don't want to deal with heterogeneity. I just want one set of policies, one set of procedures. Like, I don't care. And I am just buying the brand and whoever's going to stick around in six months. Like it's probably in their financial analysis that they know this, if not they, you know, but sometimes there's a, there's a bigger vision that just not aware. And it's, it's probably short-sighted to be honest. I, I don't know, but again, I don't know that situation, but you know, if I was to think about what are the drivers of success in the industry, it's, it's probably happy, engaged, hardworking, efficient employees. Right. And if you're kind of, you're kind of cutting that off maybe maybe you'll do well for six months because the profits will flow through and and you'll get a lot of EBITDA and revenue but you know if you're thinking long term it, it might be a bad idea yeah and just just to add on to that in the context of tree care specifically you know in some of the small to medium businesses that we've spoken to they've really sung the praise of some of their arborists and their employees and entrepreneurs have told us that their employees want to work for their smaller businesses rather than one of the really large players, because at these smaller businesses, they can run things the way they want to, the way they want to run them. And they can, and, and, you know, that enables them to be happier in their day-to-day job and provide a higher level of service. So we really do think that it's important to not, you know, totally disrupt the actual operational process of tree care uh, and really, you know, let, the employees run the business in the way that made the company successful in the first place. And like any transition, you really can't go without a disruption regardless of how smooth it is. So how does the, the owner of a tree care company prep themselves, their employees and kind of the general public, how do they prep them for this transition? Yeah. So, so I think we touched on this a little bit before, but I would say, the most important preparation measure is to really make sure that you're aligned with the private equity firm that you're partnering with and have a clear understanding of your common goals. You know, again, if if you don't have these nailed down at the outset, it can be more challenging to overcome any disagreements down the road because you've already partnered with each other and you're already set with each other for, for a long period of time. 
And then the, the, the other sort of big preparation measure that I would highlight is to have very clear communication with your employees, uh, especially in tree care where your employees are really the heart of your business and your employees are everything. You don't want your employees to feel as though you've made a decision that is only for them, or sorry, only for you and not for them. Uh, and so it's critical, we think, to communicate with your employees on what the transition means for them and, and if it's going to change anything in their day-to-day. We've we brought up goals a couple times. Um, so by goals, do we mean personal goals, business goals? Like, is, is a goal wanting to go to someplace with a beach in the sun? Would that be technically considered a goal for, I guess, yourself and your company that, you know, this is my time? Or is it more of a, this is what I'm imagining in five years, 10 years? Because I think, first off, looking at the big picture is hard. Um, Long-term goals can change as people's situations changes. So I'm interested in what you guys consider goals and how do you determine which ones are are worthwhile? Yeah, I guess it's it's a very personal question, but my, my two cents on it, I start personal and I go professional. Like that's how I think about my life. I like to work, but you know, it's, I, I start with, with myself and my family in terms of what are my personal goals and ambitions. So to use your example, Joe, maybe I have an ambition that, hey, I wanna, I wanna make X amount of money so I can then you know, go grab that house in Florida or whatever and be happy. And then, then maybe then that will, will translate into the professional goals to say, hey, I am at this revenue, I wanna get to this revenue. I know that means these many employees. I know that I need to go into this city and that city to make that happen. And then as you're thinking through that, maybe private equity is the answer or not, right? Because then maybe you realize, actually, I think I'm able to get there in a, you know, today, or maybe I need some help to get there in five years. But I think it's just some clear introspection after you're getting a sense of your goals to say, what do I know? What do I don't know? Are there different tools to help me get there? And private equity at Clarevest is no way the answer all the time. And it's not an end, it's not an end goal. It is, it is enabler to some other goal. And sometimes that annoys me, to be honest, when people are like, oh, my goal is to get a private equity partner, or, you know, my goal is to, to get a value in the business of X. I'm like, that's not your goal, right? That may be a means to an end, but um, it's really, what is your end goal? And then, and I'm thinking through it, then it's like, you know, and then maybe people are being a little too simplistic on the ways to get there. Um, if you really dig underneath how you get there, the answer might be, you know, really strong culture, really happy employees, right? So you kind of need to understand your goal and unpack it because then you might say, Hey, I need to get to 20 million revenue. Okay. But how do you do that? By lowering retention, growing efficiency, a la getting better culture and getting better employees. So, you know, that's my way of thinking of the world. I don't know if Zach, maybe you have a different view. No, no, I think that's accurate. And that's, um, that's how we kind of tend to frame up what we hear from entrepreneurs. So we try to dig in to what the real end goal is and how private equity can help them get there. So ultimately when talking with, you know, private equity firm, you want to be honest about your goals. If you want to leave, you want to let them know. If you want to stay, you want to let them know. It's really, you don't want to keep that kind of stuff secret because that's going to affect first off how you guys work with them. Um, and second off, like you said, uh, you guys are trying to get through that, get to know you stage to determine if you guys are correct fit. You don't want somebody holding back some sort of secret from, from you and same thing for them. They don't want you to feel like you're holding back a secret from them as well. Yeah. Yeah. You lose trust like right away. And it's like, I go back to the marriage analogy, right? Like 
if, if you're withholding information from your partner, you're like just asking for a divorce, you're asking for a, a loss of trust. And, and that's when things go wrong, right? When people can't trust each other. And then, you know, the, you know, I'm just generalizing, but if, if an investor cannot believe what the management team is saying, or, or they always have a kind of a, in the back of their mind, sort of like, what are they trying to achieve? It's just, it just makes things horrible. Beyond determining goals, what other kind of questions should interested individuals be asking? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, one, one good question that I think that entrepreneurs can ask private equity firms is, what do you know about my industry and my company? Uh, and the reason for that is because if, if you allow someone to invest in your business, they should be knowledgeable about your industry. Otherwise, you can kind of question the extent to which they'll add any value uh, beyond, you know, the, the value of their monetary investment. Uh, an, another question that you can ask is, why should I even consider a private equity transaction in the first place? My business is running smoothly. Why should I change anything? This, this is helpful because it really helps you understand what the private equity firm's plans are um, and where they see your business going. And again, going back to alignment of your common goals, it helps you as the entrepreneur and the private equity firm get aligned on what you want to do. What, one other one is, is what is life going to be like after the transaction and what will my role be? Again, same, same reason. It really helps you understand what the private equity firm wants and what they want to do with your business. One other one uh, that could be helpful is what differentiates you from other private equity firms? Um, because I think that these private equity firms, I think we should be able to articulate what differentiates us and why those differentiating factors will lead to an ideal partnership with that entrepreneur and that firm. That's an interesting point, Zach. Now, I'm just thinking about it. it would you say it was accurate or it, it should be a question, or I guess, how should I word this? It, how specific should you expect that private equity firm to be when answering the question of why me, you know, my business is running great. Like why? Because I think as a tree care company or as any, any business that is considering this, this type of option, you're going to have very specific questions of, of why you're being chosen or, you know, you, you brought some value or you, there was some flash that drew the attention of this private equity firm. Like how, how much specific information should they expect from that question? Does that, does that make sense? Or? No, no, absolutely. It's, it's a great question. I, I think that, you know, the private equity firm, their strategy and the goals of the entrepreneur should be very much aligned. And what I mean by that is that if you've got an entrepreneur who doesn't want to sell their entire business, really wants to grow their business over the next few years, um, that would be an ideal partnership for Clarevest. Uh, that aligns very well with our strategy. But if you've got an entrepreneur who's looking to retire, you know, like Mohit said, wants to go down to the Caribbean, he might look for a private equity firm that's much more operationally focused and that is more geared towards buying his business rather than investing in his business. Uh, and so I think that to, to answer your question, the private equity firm should be specific in terms of what the role of the entrepreneur will be after the after the partnership or during the partnership rather yeah and i almost say it's a bit of like detective work and um i almost find it i don't know if i find it amusing but i almost find it interesting how you might you know have conversations with entrepreneurs and you get pretty far along 
they haven't even done reference checks, right? They haven't even, like, it's almost, again, like, if you're hiring an important employee, don't you think you would dig into their background? You would do a background check. You would do reference checks, right? You would, you would, you know, give them examples. Like, you know, when you're grilling someone for an interview or you're bringing them part of the organization, I think you take the exact same lens. And if a story fits, doesn't fit, doesn't fit. You know, if they've jumped tree care companies every three to six months and, you know, there's big gaps in their resume, you know, of course you would question them as a perhaps an employee and you should look for similar type things when you're, when you're looking for a partner. Yeah, I think that's interesting. So it's tree care companies really need to, when entertaining the idea of private equity, need to think of it as a two-way interview. It's not correct. You're not being grilled by this private equity firm. You have every right to do the same back and to get the information you need to make sure your business is going to be in good hands and, and heading the direction you want it to be going in. Yeah. And then to be frank, there's, there's good learning that comes as well, John. And I've, you know, and I've, I've had relationships for many years where it could be a good resource too, right? Um, how should I be thinking about the business? What metrics are important to you? Like I've, and, and it could be helpful for you as you're thinking about what goals should I make? How should I think about the business? It could be helpful, a little bit of intelligence as well, to be honest. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So you guys are using TCIA as a resource to learn more about the tree care industry. What kind of resources do people in the tree care industry have to learn more about private equity? That's a, it's a good one. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think this through. If, I mean, obviously, if, if, it feels obviously like a loaded question. Yeah, Google. But, you know, um, you said look up and determine how, um, if they've dropped tree care companies or if they drop companies in general, how do, do you go about finding that kind of information? Yeah, I think I think a lot. Um, it probably starts with with the website in terms of understanding some of their past investments, um, and then maybe doing some digging. So it's probably you know, it might take a bit of work, but you know, uh, you know, Clairvest is an example. Has invested in X companies. Um, next time I'm talking to my Zach, I'm going to put them on the spot with this company to understand what happened with it. What was the strategy? Oh, I, I saw that that didn't work out. What was the reason? And you know what? You might even pick up the phone to some of those companies and you know that are current portfolio companies. What is it like working with them? How are they thinking? Or ask Zachary to put you in contact with them. And then I would say kind of more general private equity information. I don't know if there's any more than just kind of the you know financial news or anything like that. Zach, I don't know if there's anything else that you would you would add. Yeah, just just one one more thing that I would add is you can there, there are a lot of great uh, consultants and brokers that specifically service the lawn and landscape and tree care industry that you can talk to, and they'll help you understand what private equity is all about, what are the key factors you should be thinking about. Um, and so, and they're, they're always open to conversations with entrepreneurs. So, so that's, another, uh, that's another resource I'd recommend using. So as I learn more about this, um, Obviously, I'm not a tree care company owner, and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed by everything. Yeah, no worries. Um, how, I don't want to say how can you put people at ease, but really, what else is there besides being educated? Is there any real secrets for people to know, or is it just learn your facts and be honest about what you want, and that will make things go easier, because it's... Uh, it's it's an overwhelming decision and I'm not even thinking about my own tree care company. I don't even have one and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed <laughs> yet, by everything Joe. provided. <laughs> so like, I, I just want to know what can be done to yeah. alleviate 
personal fears when it comes to something like this? I think that if you were a tree care company owner and you were thinking about embarking on a big digital marketing strategy, you, you know, to avoid intimidation on the amount of money that you'd be putting into that, you'd probably spend a lot of time thinking about it, talk to other people who have done it and really just do your homework to understand what you're getting into. And, and I think that a potential transaction with a private equity firm is no different. It's really all about doing your homework, understanding the nuances and taking your time. Um, you know, there's no, there's, there's, there's no rush in such a major corporate decision. Um, and any private equity firm that you end up partnering with is going to be a fairly big part of your business for a long time. So just be sure to take your time and do your research. And I mean, that could be a telling sign too. If you, if you make a connection with a private equity firm and they're, and they're rushing you to a decision, I mean, that could be a telling sign right there that that partnership might not work or it might not be what you're looking for. If you're really in those, in that educational stage that Joe was kind of alluding to. Um, so, that, I mean, that could be another sign right there that maybe they should do a little more research and, and uh, dig a little deeper. Yep, absolutely. Agreed. I feel like I have to ask this question because it's always relevant, it seems now, but uh, COVID-19 and all of that kind of stuff, does, has that affected you at all? Because um, obviously it's affected our members in quite a different way where a lot of them are moving towards more technology-based approaches to certain things as well as being busier than ever because everybody's sitting at home looking outside and seeing that they hate how that tree looks or the tree looks sickly and looks like it's about to fall over. Um, there's a lot of that kind of stuff and we know how that affects them, I guess, because down years do happen. How does that affect you guys when you work with the tree care industry? Yeah. So I think OE can probably provide a really good overview of how it's affected us as Clairvest, but just in the context of tree care, I, I would say that, COVID and the events that transpired in 2020 have actually invigorated our interest in the industry rather than made us shy away. Just to provide a small anecdote, I attended the, the virtual summit a few weeks ago and I was listening to a talk from a you know small to medium business owner and he was really just telling us about his experience in 2020 and the trials and tribulations he went through from the California wildfires to you know the loss in business that naturally occurred in those first few months during COVID. Um, and I think I speak for both Mohit and I when we've just been really impressed with the resilience of these business owners um, and how well the industry has held up. Like you said, Joe, everyone's you know at home looking at how they can improve their home. Tree care workers can work outside so people aren't uncomfortable with them coming over. Uh, so I'd say that COVID has has made us more impressed with the industry. Yeah, no, 100%, Zach. Um, again, it speaks to that resilience of the community, resilience of the industry. And then for Clairvest, um, yeah, I think like most people, we've been we've been impacted. Probably, uh, you know, obviously that the companies were invested in, depending on what they're doing. Some companies continue to get zero revenue, which is a tough place to be um, if they're shut down for whatever reason. But then in our day-to-day, -day, the, probably the biggest change has been kind of the, the, the challenge to travel, right? And the lack of conferences. So I, I think the, the, Expo, the Expo 2020 obviously didn't happen. You know, would have loved to have been there. Would have loved to have had an opportunity to meet with entrepreneurs, 
we always pride ourselves on, you know, we understand this is a very challenging and difficult decision. And I personally love just to go meet entrepreneurs where they are, you know, walk around the office, walk around, uh, you know, you know, whatever the parking lot, the work, work environment, um, just to get a sense of what's going on. And it's a great way to kind of understand people, help bridge gaps, help answer questions. And that's, you know, as much as we're on a Zoom right now, it's, it's just not the same. So we're trying to figure that out. I think we're doing okay at it, but that's probably the, the biggest challenge for us. Yeah, I guess to, to kind of expand on what you guys just said, is that did COVID, um, I mean, we're going into almost a year of it now, uh, did that influence your desire or interest in the tree care industry because you saw it as more resilient to that? Obviously yeah, it, <laughs> it, it did, John. I would say we had an interest before as well, um, but it, I mean, what, but what bigger test than, <laughs> than, a, than a worldwide <laughs> pandemic, right? Um, exactly. And, you know, trees will keep growing. People will keep constructing. They're going to fall. They're going to break. You know, there's going to be safety issues. Like this industry is going to be around forever. And, and I think that just kind of reiterated that for us. Um, I'm not saying it's always going to be the case, but, you know, there's, you know, if you talk to any residential tree care company these days, they are you're dealing with significant backlogs. And, and people are more focused and you can have your crystal ball in terms of what's going to be happen when this is all over. And we all hope that it's over soon. Will people actually go back to work and whatnot? Regardless, we think there'll be demand for, for many, many, many years to come. Um, which, which just kind of got reiterated it to us during, during, during this pandemic. Yeah, definitely. So are there any kind of like myths or misconceptions or common fears that you would like to, you know, publicly dispel at this point to try to pull back the curtain, I guess, for lack of a better term? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think that, you know, private equity does get a bad rep uh, in some ways, and there are certainly some bad apples out there, but I, I would say I'd caveat any misconception with, with Mohit's point that there are a lot of different flavors. And so there is a reason why these misconceptions have come up, but just a few you know, one one main one is that private equity firms unilaterally seek profit and they'll often lay off employees or reduce wages in the process. The way that we approach partnerships at Clarebest is that we absolutely need employee, our employees in order to succeed and, and as we grow. So in particular in tree care, you know, your employees are everything. Uh, and there's a limited labor pool of skilled tree care workers. And so in our view, it's absolutely critical to retain your employees and keep them happy on the job. Just to provide a quick example of Clarebest and, and our work with employees. So we, one of our more recent partnerships was with a residential HVAC replacement firm up here in Canada. And in about two years, our employee base grew from 270 employees to just under 400 employees. And a lot of that growth came this summer during the pandemic. Uh, so as our companies grow, we often grow our employee base along with that. Yeah, we're not all Gordon Gecko and fancy suits in New York, right? I wish, but there's, there's different flavors, different types of individuals out there. But yeah, Zach, Zach hit it on the head. Uh, that goes back to our theme is you got to do some research. You got to dig. Does, because I keep forgetting to ask, but does it matter where the the private equity firm is located? You guys are in Canada. Does it matter think, if you guys are trying to help out? I think generally not. Okay. Um, I think if you have the view that the 
pandemic was here for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, but uh, just because it, it probably hurts the travel, um, you know, many, many years into the future, but practically no, no real implication. Um, it's easy enough for us to, again, when there's no pandemic, to jump on the plane and, 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 and go where you need to go. How often do you guys actually meet with people? Is it you guys allude to the fact that you're always available, but you're not trying to overstep anything, but you're also not trying to be uh, we'll see you in six months type person. So what do you guys find your sweet spot for visits or contacts or check-ins is? Yeah, I'll give a, a general answer, but then there might be kind of more or less depending on the situation. But I would say kind of set meeting wise, it's maybe once a month to say, okay, you know, here was the situation from last month. Here are the, here are the operating metrics, here are the financials, here are we doing on strategic initiatives, um, et cetera. And then a more in-depth discussion once a quarter where the goal is frankly to step out of the day to day, but to think, okay, you know, again, to think about the one, two, three year problems or opportunities. And are we thinking about the right things? Are we kicking off the right initiatives, et cetera? But in all practical nature, it's probably, you know, once a week, once every other week, something comes up. But then if something's hot and heavy, it can be every day. Or it can be once a month if, you know, things are kind of just on cruise control, so to speak. Yeah, I just think that's important for for people to know because knowing that you'll be there if needed. However, you know, you're more than happy to let them everybody's different and I know it's hard to generalize about, you know, what you're going to do with each individual person when you want to work with them. But I think it's helpful to know that you guys are flexible enough at least to better align yourselves with whoever you're working with. If they need that once a day thing, because everything's on fire and they really need the help, you know, it's nice if everything's going fine and they only need to talk, you know, once every other week, that's perfectly fine too. I think it's good to know. Yeah, we don't we don't claim to have the answer, know the answer, and want to be flexible. The situation, and a lot of people, it's text messages or whatever, or the odd call in the morning or the evening, uh, whatever it takes. Is there anything that you guys want to bring up or talk about that we haven't discussed already? I don't know. If, um, I think I think you guys did a pretty good job of being comprehensive. I guess it maybe kind of go back um, to the to the to the kind of what I said at the beginning, but and then maybe a bit of kind of listening to some of the podcasts earlier this morning that you guys are doing and seeing some of your work. Um, and frankly, seeing the, the depth of the community in the industry, I, I really think it's an interesting time for the industry to be successful. And it's not, I hope it doesn't get to a, you know, hyper competitive, we just sharp elbows sort of thing. Cause I really do think there's a ton of opportunity to continue to professionalize, continue to get the right reputation. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of opportunity. So I, I think that's kind of the thing on, I think you can win together, so to speak. And the enemy is you know, poor regulation, lack of regulation, mom and pops going around and undercutting prices and being unsafe, like that is more the enemy. But if you can, you can professionalize the industry and move it up, I think everyone can do very, very well. So I don't want people to lose sight of that, um, which does not all seem to be the case, but it's, it's a welcome, it's welcome and it's fun and it's enjoy the conversations I have in the industry. Uh, John, do you have anything? Sorry about that. Okay. I had an early COVID issue with my mic being on mute. Um, <laughs> no, I think that was great. And I think you guys really humanized um, private equity and kind of what that means. Um, having come into it with very little knowledge, um, I think you guys really uh, simplified it and humanized it. So I really appreciate that. Thank you, John. We appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for having us on, guys. This uh, this has been great, and we, we really appreciate it. 
Well, thank you guys for coming on. We appreciate it. Like John said, uh, we both kind of came in with the rudimentary knowledge of, you know, the dictionary definition. Now, uh, John and I are figuring out where to uh, buy our first tree care company from. <laughs> <laughs>